0: of Revelation really be understood amidst all the prophetic language and mysterious symbols? How is it relevant to the 21st century? What is the controversy between good and evil all about? How and when will it end? These and many other questions will be answered providing amazing clarity to the conditions we see in our world today. This seminar will bring you face-to-face with Jesus in a new and wonderful way, leading you to the most momentous decisions of your life. Welcome to Prophecy Seminar, the Book of Revelation. Here is your host, Pastor David Price. Thank you so much for joining us for Revelation
1: Seminar Session number 20. It's great that you're with us Tonight, you're going to find that the word of God is absolutely on fire in this exciting topic. What are we going to learn in presentation number 20? Firstly, we're going to find out is hell, the lake of fire, hellfire actually happening right now? Number two, where does hell actually take place? Number three, Who is the lake of fire actually designed for? Number four, will hell last throughout all eternity? As the Bible says the words forever and ever. And number five, does the Bible teaching on hell and the lake of fire actually make any sense? So friends, there are currently five views. Many Bible commentators differ widely as to the actual location of the biblical hell. Some identify it with Sheol and call it the underworld. Some call it Gehenna, which was the valley of Hinnom, which uh, was just outside Jerusalem. Others use the word Hades. These are all um, words from the Bible as an unseen world or place of departed souls. Some call it Tartarosos to incinerate in eternal torment in gehenna and number five hell in other words a place of torment where after judgment the souls not worthy of eternal life in heaven are sent for eternal damnation so i said in session number 20 we're going to take you to hell and hell is actually the name of a town I'm sure some of you know or have been there in the United States. It's a town in Michigan. And so many people who've been there actually boast that they've actually been to and had their photograph taken at the gates of hell. So I think you know what our topic is tonight, and I'm going to invite you to bow your heads as we seek the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing topic. And as we open your word, may we see wonderful things under the power of the Holy Spirit and be given wisdom and understanding and discernment, I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Friends, it's my pleasure to welcome you to session number 20, Revelations Lake of Fire. If you are joining us on the internet, then the uh, lesson guide is situated as a download under the description bar. Let's start our lesson tonight, which is Revelation's Lake of Fire. Revelation, in the most graphic language, repeatedly refers to the lake of fire, hell, and the punishment of the unsaved. Fifteen times Jesus Christ pointedly mentions the lake of fire so john the revelator will know that the fire is not a fable but rather a very necessarily part of god's plan to abolish sin and make the righteous safe for eternity however grave problems confront many when they study the subject of hell in revelation in fact thinking people have been shocked to read in the bible that the unsaved will be tormented day and night forever and ever in Revelation twenty ten, Because such words fill the mind with serious questions about God's mercy and God's justice and his fairness. Are all the wicked punished forever, regardless of the degree and number of their sins? Does a sinner who died 3,000 years ago receive 3,000 years more punishment? than one who dies today and is lost for the same sin? And how can God get rid of sin if sinners are kept alive forever in a fire? In light of these questions, the subject becomes one of exceedingly great importance. But friends, millions have turned their backs on Jesus because of such teachings, and others have said, if God is like that, I hate him. Friends, at stake here is the character and the reputation of the great God of heaven. Let us carefully take time to examine all of the Bible evidence. So, friends, recently surveys have been done on people's views of heaven and hell. I want to refer to the survey done in the US News and World Report in their magazine Hell, a new vision of the netherworld a number of years ago. In that survey, 64% of people in America said they believed in hell who were surveyed, 25% said they were non-believers, and 9% said they didn't know. Now, that's from the US News and World Report of January 31, 2000. What if we just time travel ahead 21 years and have a look at modern views? I'm going to the Pew Research Centre survey, which was just in September 2020, September 20 to 26 in 2021, uh, a little over 12 months ago. So in this survey, the result was that 62% of people surveyed adults said they actually believed in hell, with men rating 59% and women rating 65%. Now, I'll let you work out the differences there, and I'll move ahead without commenting. Point number two, 25% said they didn't believe in hell, and that figure is consistent over the last 20 years, with another 13% saying they didn't know. Going back to the same uh, uh, survey, here is the percent of American adults who believed in hell and that people definitely or probably experienced psychological suffering in hell, 53% nominated that as their belief another 53% said that people in hell would become aware of the suffering that they'd caused others i think that's a very interesting point 51% said they were going to uh, people in hell would going to experience physical suffering another 49% said people in hell couldn't have a relationship with god and 44% said that they believe people in hell would actually meet the devil. So, friends, here we are in Revelation's Lake of Fire. We're in session 20. It's great to be together. Thank you so much for joining us. Would you join me now as we look at heading number one, which is entitled God's Final Judgment? Let's go straight into our first question. Number one, when will the wicked actually be punished in the fire? We go to 2 Peter 2 and verse 9. Peter wrote, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. When will the wicked be punished in the fire? It's interesting. It says the Lord knoweth how to Reserve the unjust. Friends, that's very clearly telling us that nobody is in hell now. They're reserved for the day of judgment and the day of punishment. It's interesting today in the Christian church that judgment and punishment are mostly not mentioned, neither is hellfire. These topics are all out of fashion because if you're going to talk about judgment and punishment, you would have to refer back to obedience and to the Ten Commandments and the bodies of law in in God's holy word. So I think that's interesting, isn't it? Nobody wants to talk about judgment or punishment, but this text tells us that the wicked will be reserved unto the day of judgment and then they will be punished. Join me at the top of page two for question two. When is the judgment day? A very, very important question. Let's go to John 12 and verse 46, 48. These actually are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Now, we know from previous studies that Jesus is the judge of the world because he actually lived here and the Heavenly Father is the co-judge. Jesus says here that the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Friends, we're going to be judged by God's word. We're also going to be judged by our own words. We're asked to go to Matthew 13 and have a look at these words of Jesus. Jesus said, As therefore the tares or the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Verse 41 of Matthew 13. The Son of Man, Jesus' favorite term for himself, shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. When is the judgment day? The scripture tells us we're not making any of this up. It's straight from God's word. The same shall judge him on the last day. And this takes place in or at the end of the world. Clearly, the judgment day is the end of the world. So let me ask you, is the judgment day the first coming of Jesus? I'd say not. Is it the second coming of Jesus? We learned already that Jesus doesn't set foot on the earth at that time. So that would be a zzz. And so thirdly, we would say it's the third coming of Jesus Christ when the holy city actually descends to planet earth. You know, we would not think of sending a person to prison until he was tried or judged. So after the third coming of Jesus, the holy city, the new Jerusalem comes down to earth and Satan and then all the wicked attack the holy city, which is also known as the new Jerusalem. The third part, neither will God punish people till they face him in the final judgment before his throne at the end of the world. So we have the third coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the thousand years. The holy city descends to planet Earth. Satan and all the wicked attack the holy city, the new Jerusalem. They believe, as they're in the majority in numbers, in the billions, that they can take the city. And then the last judgment precedes the fourth point. The last judgment, the great white throne judgment, precedes this event, which is point number four, the final destruction of the wicked friends neither will god punish people till they face him in the final judgment before his throne at the end of the world so friends very simply as we review this fire descends from god out of heaven and devours them the scripture says it's a finished work it doesn't talk about devouring but it devoured them a finished work well that takes us to question number three this is a thought question a reflective question since the wicked are not to be judged in hell until the judgment day at the end of the world, how many lost souls are in hell now? Well, friends, you might have put none, you might have put no one, or you might have put not one. Because hell has not happened yet. It hasn't started. The wicked are reserved unto the day of judgment. The scripture is very clear about that. Number four, since the wicked do not go to hellfire at death, where do they actually go? Well, we covered this in a previous session, didn't we, when we studied on the state of the dead. Job 21, 30 and 32, what did Job say? He said that the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction. Friends, can you see a second text talking about the wicked not going straight to hell at death, but they are reserved. They are put aside to face hellfire and judgment at a later time. Job, the wisest man in the world, or one of them, said that the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction. They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Yet shall he be brought to the grave, and he shall remain in the tomb. Since the wicked do not go into hellfire at death, where do they actually go, friends? They are taken into the grave and they actually stay there and remain in the tomb. This is totally consistent with what Jesus said plainly in John 5 28 and 29, that all who have died are in their graves until called forth by Jesus on the great resurrection day at the second coming. This is why we can be positive that not one single lost soul is in hell right now. In fact, Jesus says they are all in their graves. Let's go to the scripture for evidence of this. I'm going to read the scripture we just quoted, John 5, 28 and 29. Jesus' words, marvel not at this for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Where are they? They are in the graves. And they will come forth, they that have done good unto the what? The first one is the resurrection of life that takes place at the beginning of the thousand years. And then they that have done evil, they come up in the resurrection of damnation at the end of the thousand years. Jesus couldn't have been clearer, would he? We go to question number five. What rewards do the righteous and the wicked actually receive? I think we know this scripture very, very well, don't we? We go to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, the wages of sin lead to death, but it's either a choice between eternal death or or a choice between choosing eternal life. The righteous receive eternal life and the wicked receive eternal death. I want to share with you an extra scripture not in the lesson. I love Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. You might like to jot it down. DT, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. God says, I've set before you life and death, therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Isn't that beautiful? God wants us to live here and he wants us to live forever. Question number six, which death do the wicked um, receive in the lake of fire, in hellfire? We go to Revelation 21 and verse eight. So as the wicked rush the city, something happens as they attack the city. Revelation 21.8, it says, who will be outside the city but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the what sort of death? In Revelation 21.8, it's very, very clear, isn't it? that this is the second death that we could receive in the lake of fire and hellfire, they receive the second death. Friends, the difference in the first and second death is that there's no resurrection from the second death, and it is final. Let me share a little bit more with you on the screen. Friends, the first death is the death that we die as the natural result of living here in a sinful world. Meanwhile, the second death is an eternal death as a result of personal rebellion against God. Let's go to question number seven. Many people say that souls never die, but what does God say in Ezekiel 18 verses 4 and 20? You know, the Lord God is very, very clear in this matter. He said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die die. We know that in scripture, the soul is a reference to a person. Many people say that souls never die, but what does God say? He says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Most versions translate that as the person who sins will or shall die. So on God's own authority, souls, meaning people or humans, that sin will receive death and not everlasting torment in the fire all right let's listen up carefully we're going to our second heading god's fire destroys friends as i said earlier uh this is the topic the christian church is shying away from the christian church does not want to talk about judgment or obedience or hell It's important that we cover this topic, that we know whether God is a fair and just judge. So we're looking at God's fire actually destroying what happens. Friends, at the end of the thousand years, as we studied in Revelation 20, the holy city with all the saints comes down from heaven and settles on the Mount of Olives. At this time, the wicked of all the ages are resurrected in the second resurrection. And Satan leads them in a dramatic attempt to capture the holy city, the new Jerusalem. But at this time, fire comes down from God out of heaven. This is the hell fire that's spoken of in the Bible. Friends, I want you to be totally, totally clear on this, that hell is not over or under or inside the earth, but it is here on the surface of the earth. This is where hell takes place. We're in question number eight, halfway down page three. What does this fire actually do to the wicked? We go to Revelation 20 and verse nine. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. Friends, that's just referencing that the wicked go up, they surround the holy city, the new Jerusalem. What happens next? It says, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Notice the tense of the word. What does this fire do to the wicked? Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It doesn't say it was devouring them. It devoured, past tense. What does this actually mean? Well, when a child devours a bar of candy, how much is left? We all know the answer to that. Likewise, when sinners are devoured in the lake of fire, they're put out of existence. Please note that in Revelation 29, it teaches that the fire will be set here on the earth. But I want you to notice what Proverbs 11.31 says. It also says the wicked will receive their reward on the earth. The scripture says, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth. How much more the wicked and the sinner? We're in question nine. How big will the fire be and what will it do to the earth and the elements? Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. We're very grateful to the Apostle Peter for giving us all of this extra information. He said, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, friends, it comes unexpectedly. Are you being expecting to be burgled in the next few nights? I think you'd be shocked and surprised. The coming of the day of the Lord, a reference to the second coming, catches the world by surprise in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat." And the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Friends, the space junk that's up there, the toxic chemicals, the PCBs, and all of the pollution of planet Earth has to be burned up in this lake of fire, in order for God to create a new heaven and a new earth. How will big will the fire be, and what will it do to the earth and the elements? The elements of the earth, the uh the earth actually melt. The the heat is just so so fiery, it's so intense, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be actually burned up. Let's discover a little bit more. Friends, the fire will be the exact size of the earth because it will be the earth on fire. The elements in the earth will melt from the heat and everything on the face of the earth will be burned up. You know, friends, what the best way is to survive a fire? It's often to get into the water. How are we going to survive hellfire? Then I'm suggesting that you get into the waters of baptism. Please join me at the top of page four. And let's go to question number 10. So how did Malachi describe the fire? And what was it actually going to accomplish in Malachi chapter four and verse one? Malachi writes, behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, meaning yes, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. These are all important ingredients in this understanding the nature of the fire. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. And it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Friends, this is the only mention of this in scripture. This is incredible. So how did Malachi describe the fire and what will it accomplish? Well, the day is going to burn like an oven. That'll be intense heat. And all those that do wickedly will be like stubble, which is a quick, short grass fire. It will then burn them up and it will leave them neither root nor branch. That's a little bit obscure. What does that mean? So, friends, the wicked will burn like stubble or dry tinder, a small, quick, tinder-dry grass fire, not asbestos, as many believe. So the fire does its work. It devours and burns them up. The little word up denotes completion. So there it is, a very quick stubble or grass fire. It burns intensely, and then it goes out. But friends, what about the reference to it shall leave them neither root nor branch? What does this actually mean in Malachi 4:1? Friends, have you ever considered who started the sin problem? That's right, it was Satan the devil, the dragon, the ancient serpent. And so Satan the devil is the root of all sin, and his branches are his followers. Firstly, the one third of heaven's angels that were cast out of heaven it includes all of them it also includes all of his earthly followers knowingly or unknowingly and so these end time hell fires will leave them neither root nor branch question 11 will the fire finally go out in isaiah 47 14 what do you say (laughs) Let's go to Isaiah 47, verse 14 to get the answer. Behold, they shall be a stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor a fire to sit before it. So, friends, will the fire finally go out? Well, if there's no coals that uh, are there burning and there's no fire to sit before it sounds like the fire absolutely goes out. The fire will burn the wicked up as stubble. There's no escaping the flames. But when the stubble is burned up, the fire goes out and not even one coal is left glowing. Isaiah 47 uses symbols and language very similar to that of Revelation chapter 16 to 19 and for very good reason. Both refer to the punishment and destruction of Babylon or the unfaithful, the wicked. Lesson 21, our next session, takes up a full study of spiritual Babylon. Question 12, what is left when the fire goes out in Malachi chapter four and verse three? This is a remarkable verse and it's very, very important that we understand it. And ye shall tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. Friends, that could only happen if the fire goes out. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. There's no ashes until the fire goes out. So what is left when the fire goes out? The scripture is very clear. There's just ashes. Thirteen. King David in the psalm says that in a little while the wicked will not be found, no matter how diligently one may search for them. What did he say was the reason in Psalm 37, 10 and 20? For yet a little while, King David wrote, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. This is very curious. Let's jump to verse 10. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, and they shall consume away. So, friends, it tells us who the wicked are. The wicked are those who are the enemies of the Lord, and they will disappear into vapor. What did David say was the reason they couldn't be found at the end of time? The wicked could not be found. The scripture says, Into smoke they shall burn or they shall consume away. Friends, the wicked will not be found because in hell they went up in smoke. It would be easy to find the wicked if they were screaming for mercy somewhere in hell. But David says that it's not so. And Malachi just said that they will be as ashes we're looking now at heading number three god's justice complete question 14 how long will the wicked suffer in the fire revelation 22 and verse 12 and behold i come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be how long will the wicked suffer in the fire to give every man according as his work shall be. Friends, isn't it interesting today? The Christian church doesn't speak much about following God's law, about the necessity of obedience. We know very clearly that faith is the root of our faith, but we also know that obedience is the fruit of our faith. Is there enough evidence in your life to have you arrested as a Christian? It's worth a thought, isn't it? Jesus says he will reward or punish all according to their works or conduct. Some will suffer longer than others, but soon the fire goes out and all are turned to ashes. Jesus will handle the destruction of hellfire quickly. Being destroyed in hell is not the great tragedy of sin. The great tragedy of sin is missing heaven and and eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the Eternal Father, and the Holy Spirit. Question 15, the top of page 5. When the devil is placed in the fire, Revelation 20, 10, what happens to him? Ezekiel 28, 17 to 19. We're going to revisit some of the verses that we studied in session number 3 when we spoke about Satan, the villain of the book of Revelation. We're going to Revelation 20 and verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. We now go back to Ezekiel 28, verse 17. And here we are talking about Lucifer, that beautiful shining angel who chose to turn himself into Satan, the devil. God says to him, thine heart, Lucifer, was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. We go to verse 18. Therefore, I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee is our answer. Ashes on the earth. Verse 19, all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee, Satan. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. Isn't that interesting? So question 15, when the devil is placed in the fire, what happens to him? God says to Satan, I'll bring thee to ashes upon the earth in front of all those who behold thee. And they will say, is this the man who troubled the nations? You read Ezekiel 28 and read it for yourself. The devil is turned to ashes and his existence ends in Ezekiel 28, 19, where it says of the devil, never shalt thou be be anymore. Friends, isn't that great news? The end of sin and Satan, the devil. Question 16. Will people enter the fire in bodily form or as spirits? This is a very important question. Let's go to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 and verse 30. Jesus said, and if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. This is symbolic talk. Jesus is just saying, if one part of your body causes you to sin, then you need to seriously consider disciplining that part of the body and overcoming That sin. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members, parts of the body, should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Will people enter the fire in bodily form or as spirits, friends? The Bible says the whole body should be cast into hell. The whole body contains the mind, the soul, and the spirit. This is a very, very important point. Jesus said the whole body, the whole person would be cast into the lake of fire. You know, friends, people enter hell alive, Revelation 19, 20, and in bodily form with eyes, hands and feet. The picture is of a real live human being being destroyed by the fire. Question 17, some say that the soul burns forever and only the body is destroyed in hell. But what does Jesus say in Matthew 10 and verse 28? And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So some Christians have grabbed onto this verse and said, yippee, look, here it is. Here is the statement that the soul is an undying soul. You can't kill it. It's an immortal, undying soul. But friends, what they're forgetting is here that the word soul in the scriptures is psyche, and it means life, mind, character, personality, the entirety of a person. Let's get a little bit more clarification. Jesus is saying, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. He's referring there to one's eternal life, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul, earthly life and body in hell. So friends, that's very, very important. Let's go to another text, not in your study guides. We're going to Luke 12, 4 and 5 to see if we have the correct interpretation and i say unto you my friends be not afraid of them that kill the body and after that have no more that they can do but i will forewarn you whom ye shall fear fear him which after he hath killed the earthly life have power to cast into hell that is the eternal life yea i say unto you fear him Some say the soul burns forever and only the body is destroyed in hell. But what does Jesus say in Matthew 10, 28? He says, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, the scripture makes it easy to understand. Both soul and body are destroyed in hell. Everything that comprises a person, his intelligence, personality, life, and all else that makes him an individual will be destroyed in the fire. Now, heading number four is that Satan represents God, and here is an artist's depiction of a lake of fire and people being cast in it. What a tragedy that God is credited with teaching eternal torment when he taught something entirely different. Could you stand to see your child burn for even one hour for a terrible crime? Yet men accuse God of burning his disobedient children for eternity. Friends, the doctrine of an eternally burning hell is a deadly, dangerous, and terrible teaching that is not found in the Bible. Let's go to question 18. What is Job's fitting question regarding God's justice in Job 4 and verse 17? He said, shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Job is asking the question. So shall a mortal man, a man subject to death, a man able to die, is that man able to be more just, fair, and honest than the God of heaven? And the answer is obviously no, no way. You know, it's slander on the holy name of God to accuse him of far crueler and more heartless treatment of people than has occurred in the very worst of war atrocities. Friends, eternal torment is not part of God's great plan. Such a teaching has made God haters and infidels of many people throughout the centuries. An eternal hell of torment would be hell for God, who loves even his worst enemies with a love that's indescribably deep and heartfelt. Question 19, for whom did God plan the fires of hell in Matthew 25 and verse 41? This is very, very important because people misunderstand the loving character of God. Here are the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For whom did God plan the fires of hell? The scripture is very clear. Jesus is very clear. He said it was actually prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for anybody else. And so it was prepared for the root and his branches. God prepared hell to destroy sin, the devil and his angels. God's plan is to isolate sin and then eradicate it from the universe with fire. Like a cancer, sin would jeopardize the universe unless eradicated. The ugly cancer of sin must be destroyed in the fire. But if I hang on to sin, I will have to be destroyed with it. God cannot permit that ugly thing which deals such misery and woe and which killed his son to enter his new kingdom. He pleads with me daily to let him remove sin from my life and bury it under the sea, but he will not force it because the choice is mine. If I choose to go my own way here, I would do the same in heaven. Besides, those who refuse to follow Jesus here would be in abject misery in a place where only holiness exists. It would be cruel to force them to live under such conditions." Heading number five is God's love vindicated. Let's go to question 20. Thanks so much for joining us. What is God's act of destroying people called in the fire in Isaiah 28 and verse 21? For the Lord shall rise up, he shall be wroth, meaning he'll be white, hot, angry, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. What is God's act of destroying people in the fire call? Friends, it's called in very, very unusual words, his strange work, his strange act. Why is that? Because God's a creator and destruction is alien to his character and loving nature. That's why it's strange. That's why it is outside his character that he has to do this. As you'd remember, Jesus came to save people. Destroying even those who hate him is so contrary to his nature that it's called his strange act. God's great heart will be torn asunder when he's forced to destroy those whom he dearly loves. In Ezekiel 33, 11, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Friends, people think that God is going to get pleasure out of throwing people into the lake of fire. It's not true. As I live, he swears an oath, says the Lord God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. The scripture says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our Lord God will cry out as he did with Ephraim, how can I give you up? And he will with anguish ask, what more could I have done than I did do to save them? Isaiah 5, 4. Friends, it'll be the most horrible moment heaven has ever spent when God's disobedient children must be destroyed because they refused his love. Let's go to question 21. When the new kingdom is set up, what happens to all the former things, including hell? Let's go to Revelation 21 and verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are what? That's right, they're passed away. The former things are passed away. Thank God for that. All former things have passed away. No exception is made to keep hell burning somewhere in God's universe. God's plan is to completely rid the universe of evil. Isn't that good news? Friends, an eternally burning hell would perpetuate sin and evil and make it impossible to ever forget it. We're in question 22 at the top of page seven. What should be my reason for serving Jesus in John 14, 23 and 24? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We're in John 14 and now verse 24. He that loveth me, not Keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Friends, what should be the only reason we have for serving Jesus? The only valid reason would be that we love him. You know, no one will be in heaven because they're afraid of hell. People will be in heaven because they love Jesus first, last, and best. And those who love Jesus will have no need to fear hell See First John four eighteen, which tells us that God is love. Well, earthly governance cannot resta- remain stable without the meeting out of justice. But some say God is too loving to ever punish or destroy the wicked. What does the Bible actually say about this in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7? And the Lord passed by before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that he will by no means clear the guilty. Friends, earthly governments cannot remain stable without the meeting out of justice. But some say God's too loving to ever punish or destroy the wicked. What does the Bible says? The Bible says that we don't have anything to fear that God will not let guilty sinners go who are unrepentant. He will not be like these earthly law courts that le- let the guilty go free. He will by no means clear the guilty. Whenever a wrong decision comes here on planet Earth, I always Commit it to the heavenly court, and I pray that the heavenly court will sort out the injustice that's been done down here to the people of earth. Friends, it's because God is loving that justice is a must. God's justice is based upon the choices people make after being fully informed. It would be unfair to impose a lifestyle upon a person contrary to the lifestyle that he has chosen. You know, divine justice is just as essential as divine love. In fact, divine justice is divine love. God loves us enough enough to permit us freedom to choose the lifestyle we prefer. God's justice simply insists that we receive what we've chosen with all of its consequences. Those who choose sin choose death in Romans 6.23 and Proverbs 8 and verse 36. So, friends, some wonder about the Bible passages which speak of being tormented forever and ever, uh, and also about eternal fire, also about everlasting punishment and unquenchable fire and the rich man and Lazarus. For a discussion of these points, please see exhibits one and two. You might like to pause this online if you would like to read it through. Um, but I will go through it now and I direct your attention to the screen because I'm going to spend a few moments, reading it and illustrating it. So friends, we're looking at Bible passages about hell being explained, and we're looking here at the words tormented forever and ever, and we're going to go to the actual core text, the source text, which is Revelation 20 and verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So what does that mean? mean really what does it mean in the bible not what does it mean today well friends very simply forever in the bible is a period of time limited or unlimited depending on what is being described the word forever in the bible is like the word tall tall has different meanings depending on what's being described such as a dog or a house or a mountain Did you know the word forever is used 56 times in the Old Testament in connection with things already ended? In the case of man, the Bible teaches that forever means man's lifetime or as long as a man lives. In the case of Samuel, forever meant as long as he lives. See first 1 Samuel 1, 22 and twenty-eight. So Samuel's mother Hannah took him to the temple as a little boy, and she said, I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there in the temple. How long? she said, Forever. Now we go to first Samuel one and verse twenty eight. She said, Therefore, I have also lent him to the Lord, As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So friends, the word forever was qualified here in the scripture as as long as a person would live. As Psalm 48, 14 says, forever means until death. Burning forever in in the lake of fire means that man burns until he dies. I'm going to give you two more scriptures that are not in the lesson. If you'd like to write them down, Jonah 2, 6 is one of them. Jonah, of course, was thrown off the boat, and uh, as he requested, and he said, I went down, down, down to the moorings of the mountains under the sea. The earth with its bars closed behind me, what did he say? Forever. Now, I'm sure it seemed like that, but the scripture told us that he wasn't under the water forever because he was swallowed by a whale. And then it says, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. So there the word forever was limited to the time that he spent under the water, which the scripture says was three days. We're now looking at the title of fire unquenchable. What does that actually mean? Unquenchable fire. Well, friends, did you know Jerusalem Jerusalem was destroyed with unquenchable fire in Jeremiah 1727? But it's not still burning today. Jeremiah 1727, if you will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath, God tells his people in Jeremiah, then I will kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Friends, That's very important, isn't it? It says that it would be unquenchable fire, but friends, that fire is not burning in Jerusalem today. In 2 Chronicles 36, 19 and 21, it says Jerusalem was burnt with fire to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy. Unquenchable fire cannot be put out, but it goes out when everything is burned up. Let me summarize it on the screen. An unquenchable fire is one that no human hand can put out because it's been kindled by God. Let's have a look at our third heading, everlasting or eternal fire. What does the Bible mean when it uses the expression everlasting destruction or eternal fire? And we go to Matthew 25, 41. Jesus said, depart from me, ye cursed, into Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Friends, everlasting fire sounds like it will be forever, but is it? Jude 1, 7 says, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with everlasting or eternal fire. Let's have a look. Jude 1 and verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, friends, Sodom and Gomorrah are still not burning. I've been to the Middle East twice and been to those regions, but there were no fires. It was very hot, but there were no fires. Did you know Peter says in 2 Peter 2 6 that the fire turned those cities into ashes as an example to those who live ungodly? And turning The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into what? They were turned into ashes. God condemned them to destruction. It's very clear, isn't it? Ashes and they were destroyed, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. So eternal or everlasting fire turns things to ashes and then it goes out. It is an everlasting in its effect effect and not in its duration. So friends, an eternal fire is one whose effects or results are eternal. It's quite clear. Everlasting punishment is one punishment whose effects or results are eternal. If your house was to catch fire and no one put it out, you could say that your house was burnt down forever, but you're referring to the result, not the process. Friends, there's a positive in all this. The positive results are also returnal in that the results of redemption and judgment will also be everlasting. Our last heading on Exhibit 1 in Lesson 20 is discussing everlasting punishment. It says in the text in Matthew 25, 46, please note it's not everlasting punishing, but it's everlasting punishment. Paul says the punishment for sin is death, or the wages of sin is death. And Revelation calls this death the second death, which the wicked die in the fire. See Revelation 21.8. We've already covered this. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, the immoral sorcerers, idolaters, liars, have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the which death? It is the second death, meaning the eternal death. This is the one where the wicked die in the fire that death or destruction will be eternal because there is no resurrection from it. To summarise, friends, everlasting punishment is not everlasting punishing. So it is the punishment that is everlasting, not the punishing. Well, I'd like you to notice as we turn over exhibit one on the back, there is exhibit number two. Many have raised the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. As a story, they say, to prove that when we die, we go straight to heaven. Friends, did you know that a parable is a story to illustrate a point? It may be a true story or simply a fabricated illustration. Parables cannot always be taken literally. See Judges 9, 8 to 15. Now, in Luke 16, 19 to 31, this parable cannot be accepted literally because, number one, Abraham's bosom, meaning his heart, is not the home of the saved. Have a look at Hebrews 11, 10, and 16. So Abraham's bosom is a figurative representation for heaven. Abraham's bosom just means heaven. The representation of hell is also figurative. Both must be literal or both must be figurative. That's just logical. Point number B. Those in heaven will not be able to talk with those in hell, Isaiah 65, 17. And that text says the former things will not even be remembered. And Revelation 21, 4 says the former things are passed away, which includes hell. Point number C, the Bible indicates the dead, good and bad are in their graves. Job 17, 13 and Job 21, 30 to 32. And that they will hear Jesus' voice from their graves, John 5, 28, 29, and not from heaven or hell. Point number D, friends, the Bible teaches that men will receive their reward at the second coming and not at death. Revelation 22, 11 and 12 and Matthew 16, 27. Point E, it would make Jesus contradict himself. And what he said in Matthew 13, 38 to 42 and Matthew 16, 27. Let's go to point number three. Note that even if taken literally, this parable would refute the idea of disembodied souls going to heaven, for it describes the rich man with eyes, tongue and lips. If taken literally, this parable would prove that men are cast into hell, soul and body at death. You know, bodies of the dead have been exhumed, the exhibit says, after having been dead for months. It's a well-known fact that the eyes are still in the body even then. Sorry about that. Hence, the observity of taking the parable literally is further seen. The eyes are in the grave. They're not in hell fire. In this parable, Christ was simply using a common belief of the day to illustrate the truth of Luke sixteen thirty-one. Namely, if a man refuses to be guided by the scriptures, there's no hope for him. So, friends, what is the true point of this parable? It's not a literal story. The parable's true meaning is, number one, riches are not necessarily a sign of divine favour. Remember Jesus said, "A rich man can hardly go in. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The second point, there's no second chance after death. We've discussed this in other presentations. Number three, miracles are not a sign of divine favour. Now, let me give you some extra material that may or may not have been contained in the lesson. Let's have a look at the fate of the wicked. Here are seven points that are crucial. Number one, we're told the wicked will die, Romans 6.23. Number two, we're told the wicked will perish, Luke 13.3. Jesus said um, very, very clearly that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish. Jesus didn't say would go to heaven directly or go to hell. He said they would not perish, meaning they would not die. Point number three, the wicked will be burned up in Malachi 4.1. We know that we looked it up. Number four, the wicked will be utterly consumed in Psalms 37, verse 20, into smoke shall they consume away. Point number five, the wicked will be turned into ashes, Malachi 4.3. We looked it up. Then Isaiah Obadiah 16: the wicked will be as though they had not been. Finally, In Isaiah 47, 14, Satan will be totally destroyed. So, friends, that is the conclusion to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, showing you it was a parable. Jesus used an existing Jewish teaching, and he used it to make some very, very important points because he was going to resurrect Lazarus, the real Lazarus, and yet they still would not believe that he was the Messiah. If you'd like some extra material, please contact me. This little book is available. Uh, You can go into the website called Amazing Facts, the free book library and download as a PDF file, The Rich Man and Lazarus by Dennis Cruz. It's the Library of Sermons number 28. Friends, I'm asking you to join me at the top of page eight. God's love vindicated, and we're looking at question 24 as we wind down in our lesson. Will sin ever rise up again after it's destroyed in hellfire? We go to Nahum 1 and verse 9. God will make an utter end. Affliction or sin shall not rise up a second time. What a wonderful text that is. Affliction or sin and sinners shall not rise up a second time. There's going to be no sin in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? praise God, never again will sin rear its ugly head. Wonderful news. 25 what will God do after sin and sinners are destroyed? We've got three texts, Isaiah, second Peter and revelation 21. Isaiah 65 seventeen for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mine. Second Peter 3:13 nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So there are three heavens. We've discussed this before. There's the atmospheric heaven, the starry heavens, and the heaven where God's dwelling place is. God is going to make a new atmosphere and recreate um, planet Earth. And that which goes on it. Second Peter 3.13, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. What will God do after sin and sinners are destroyed? He says, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. God will dwell with them. Friends. This is utterly fantastic. The Lord God moves in with his people on the new earth to be their loving father and neighbor. You know, Everything that Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden will be restored again. See Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. Did you realize, friends, that God's people will at long last have found joy unspeakable and joy that will never end? The final lesson question says, Jesus invites you to live in his fabulous new kingdom, Will you accept his invitation now and let him work the miracles which will take you into his kingdom? And I hope that you'll answer that in the positive and say that, yes, you will. I want to start our lesson where we, where we, uh, we want to finish our lesson where we started, I meant. Um, So let's ask the question, is hell happening now? You should know the answer. The answer is, no, it's not. All the wicked will sleep until Jesus comes. Well, number two, where does hell happen? Where does it actually take place? It takes place here on the surface of planet Earth, not above the Earth, not under the Earth, not inside the Earth, but right here on planet Earth, but not yet. Number three, who will burn in the lake of fire? We're told all the wicked, those who are unrepentant and don't want to follow Jesus. Of course, one third of the angels that were cast out from heaven, the evil angels, and, of course, Satan, who is the root. And the evil angels and the wicked are his branches will hell last throughout all eternity forever and ever the answer is no hell and the lake of fire actually burn out and it turns to ashes under our feet in the day that i do this saith the lord see malachi chapter 4 verses 1 and 3 finally does the bible teaching on hell and the lake of fire make any sense it absolutely does yes did you do notice that God punishes all the wicked equally and fairly, not some burning for thousands of years and others burning for less amounts of time? So hell force hellfire starts at the same time for all at the third coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thank you so much for those who are continuing to uh, be involved in the quiz. Our response questions are, question one, if you can appreciate God has to be both just and fair in the execution phase of the judgment, I'm asking you to place a tick in box number one. Thank you so much. Number two, if you are happy to learn tonight that there is no such place as an eternally burning hell where people are being tortured by God right now and you want to be saved from the final lake of fire judgment, I'm asking you to tick box number two, or you can tell the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, in your heart, that is your decision. Please let us know. All right, let's go to our Revelation Seminar quiz questions. Tonight, they are true and false, and we will answer them as we go. So please lock your answer in quickly. Question number one, true or false, there'll be no punishment of the wicked until the day of judgment at the end of the world. Is that true or false? Lock it in, please. Thank you. And the answer is absolutely true. Number two, when the wicked die, they go into the graves to remain there until called forth by the power of God unto the resurrection of damnation. We're speaking about the wicked. Is that true or false? Lock it in now. And the answer is? True. Number three, the soul that sinneth shall be eternally tormented, beginning at death. Is that what the Bible says? Lock it in, true or false? And the answer is absolutely false. The Bible does not say that. Jesus didn't say that. He said they would stay in the graves until they were called forth in the two resurrections. Question number four, the fire that destroys the wicked comes from God out of heaven at the end of the thousand years. True or false? Lock it in. Yes, the fire does come down from God out of heaven. As fire and brimstone and devours them. Number five, at the end, the wicked are no more. The earth is made new. God dwells with us on the earth and sin will never rise again. Lock it in. True or false? And the answer is true. True. So give yourself a score out of five and well done for all those who got five out of five and well done to all those who get five out of five every session. I'm impressed. Let's have a look at our Revelation Seminar, Wall of Truth. We've looked at number 20. We've looked at what and where is hell? What do we learn in this session? We learned that hell is on this earth for the wicked. In our next study, we're looking at Mystic Babylon. Babylon the great harlot, and the one after, one of my favorites, the seven last plagues. Don't miss it in two sessions time. So what are we going to learn about mystic Babylon, the great harlot? We're going to learn what event is associated with the origin of Babylon in our next session. Number two, why does God condemn spiritual Babylon? Now, this lesson is actually tied in with the lesson previously done on the mark of the beast, which was revelation seminar session number 19 number three what is the main identification of the beast of revelation 17 8 who is it number four can babylon ever be reformed and number five why does the second angel's message revelation 14 8 and 18 4 actually call people out of babylon why are they called out well that's going to be an exciting lesson i hope you can join us let us pray Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this amazing lesson. It shows us that you love people, but you have to be a God of love and justice, and your justice has to remove those who don't want to spend eternity with you, that they would no longer hurt your people and be a problem for eternity. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to bless us as we study and open your word and pray and ask you to help us. Thank you for setting our minds at rest. There's no eternally burning hell. And God, the God that we worship is not a tyrant, but he is actually a God of love that we can trust and love and respect. And I ask it all in Jesus' precious name, amen. Friends, I wanna thank you so much for joining us for session number 20, Revelations uh, Lake of Fire. And we look forward to sharing the next session with you in the future. So I'm gonna say thank you so much and God bless you and look forward to seeing you next time. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Revelation with Pastor David Price. For more information about this series, you can visit the YouTube page, True Blue SDA, All one word, that's True Blue SDA. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.